0: matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express you breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet this is gonna be good see how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex, don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required, benefits vary by card and by venue terms apply
1: Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by the head coaches of the top two teams in the country, Gonzaga's Mark Few and Baylor's Scott Drew for a wide ranging discussion. Uh, We were going to go over a number of different topics from dealing, basically coaching in this pandemic, the lack of a road crowd and for both teams in terms of the intensity of playing undefeated this late into the season. Uh, whether or not there should be conference tournaments, respect for both programs, uh, both teams, and then ultimately, will they play? A game was canceled earlier this season, so will they make it up? You'll hear their answer, and my opinion on the back end of that, when I talk to Chad Acock from Turner Sports for March Chadness. I'll uh, also be joined by Belmont's Casey Alexander. What's great about the Bruins is they are 16-1. and one. They've played 17 games. Normally, that would not be a big deal. But when teams like St. Louis enter the week, had not even played a conference game this late into January, it is a big deal that they've been able to stay healthy. They had their COVID issues earlier in the year, uh, and they've been on a roll and have stayed clean of COVID essentially the last couple of months. Oh, and they're pretty good and leading the Ohio Valley and a team that I think could win a game or two uh, when they get the NCAA tournament. For my Cats ranks, we get the midseason coach of the year, Candidates, no surprise that uh, the top two are the two coaches that you've got on this podcast. In terms of the main issue, before we get to the great convo with Few and Drew, one of the main issues that's out there, and we're going to talk about this, about the conference tournaments, is I just want to let everyone think about this for a moment, which is we could have opt-outs from teams because they're worried about whether or not they have a COVID issue before March Madness. But from the conference's perspective, you have to keep this in mind that there are sponsorship agreements, corporate sponsorship agreements, and television windows and television money that they've got to answer. I mean, you know, if they, the the NCAA tournament money is the most important. We know that. And let's say it again, scream it from the rooftops. There has to be a men's tournament. End of story. The men's tournament drives the entire budget of these schools. Football, yes, of course, at Power Five schools is a major, major financial drive. But overall, in Division One, there has to be a men's tournament for all the other sports out there. You know, you name it. All the other sports need a men's tournament. So, but the conferences, for their conference offices, they need to have these conference tournaments. Their television revenue will go down if they don't. Uh, their agreements with ESPN, Fox, you name it. So that has to be considered as well. And then the other big thing that the men's basketball selection committee has not made a decision on yet is let me give you this scenario. What happens if Gonzaga hypothetically says, we're not going to play in the WCC, WCC still has a tournament. They get the AQ selection committee then has to decide, wait a minute. Are we giving an automatic berth to a conference that we may have only given one? And it was Gonzaga. Like let's say San Diego won the WCC. Should they get in because they didn't even play Gonzaga? That's the scenario. What if Drake in the Valley says, you know what? We're 19 and one. We shouldn't play. We don't need to play. We'll bag out, but there's no other team in the Valley. Maybe it's Missouri state Loyola, but the committee's like, yeah, I don't know if there should be two, but what do you do then? Is the Valley forcing the committee to take multiple bids? Same thing could happen in the big East. If Villanova didn't play, you go down the line. These are big decisions. The committee has not decided yet how they will handle it. Neither have conferences on what they're going to do going forward. Now, one thing that uh, Scott True is going to bring up, I know I was talking about what the Big 12 is doing, and the Big 10, I will just tell you, I know there's a lot of chatter that I think will happen that they'll move it to Indiana from Chicago. And what you'll see was the Big 10 and some of these other leagues, the tournaments that are happening that week before, is they will stay on the road for the teams that are going to be in the NCAA tournament. Their tournament will end, and they'll stay on the road and then go to Indianapolis protocols for March Madness. For the tournaments that end the week earlier, like the Valley, like WCC, you know, in theory, they'll have a week of potentially answering to the protocols of seven straight negative tests before they even get to Indy, and I think they'll be able to work it out. So I ultimately think in some form or fashion, they will happen, but there's still a lot of details that need to be worked out. All right, before we get to our convo, just want to give one other shout out here. Our rankings this week, Power 36. I gave a lot of love to a couple schools, Belmont, the Bonnies, Winthrop. I think they deserve it. Uh, I also had a major mea culpa that brain lock. Missouri was gone last week. They should have been in. They are well-deserved in the top 15 to 12 after winning at Tennessee. So forgive me, Missouri fans. That was a mistake by me. Will not happen again. Boise State, once again, I'm giving them love. AP is not. Uh, don't get that. So uh, we'll see if that gets corrected going forward as long as they keep winning. All right, let's continue on here with the convo between Mark Few and Scott Drew on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365. Look at this. I got the two head coaches who are one and two in the country, both undefeated, Mark Few and Scott Drew, this is a pleasure to be joined by the two of you. First, we've got a lot to get to. I want to get from both of you. Hey, Andy, I
2: don't know if you know this, but uh, we've got about 20 minutes. We're going to start playing the game, Baylor versus Gonzaga. Well, we're going to get to that.
1: We're going to get to <laughs> that momentarily. Know, we
2: kept it between ourselves. But, uh...
1: <laughs> we'll get to that momentarily. All right, first off, let's do a little about each team here. Mark, from what you've seen, because you didn't get a chance to play, obviously, in December. What has impressed you the most about Baylor from what you've seen? And then, Scott, same question about Gonzaga. Mark, you first.
2: Well, hey, first of all, I watch Baylor a lot, not only because of my relationship with Scott, but we have a former staff member, John Jakus, and a former player of ours, Rem Bacamas, who's on their staff. So there's a, a connection program to program there. I just, I think they're a phenomenal basketball team. I I don't, uh, and I'm not saying this because we're, you know, we're playing tomorrow or whatever, but I don't see a weakness. I'm so impressed with what they're doing on both sides of the ball their plan and their uh, ability to execute the defensive plan with great energy and toughness and uh, no baskets are easy against that defense. Their rim protection is great. And then offensively, The way they're moving the ball, the way they share it, uh, they're making the right reads on their ball screens. Uh, Oak State jumped in a zone defense the other day and, you know, it took a while to adjust it. But they eventually moved the ball to the right spots and got great shots. And then, uh, you know, they're older. They're older and and, uh, they're very connected. So uh, I I just think they're just a, a phenomenal college basketball team. Scott, your turn. Well, that was pretty good. I can't top that. <laughs>
3: but but I, w- I will say uh, Coach View's obviously a uh, future Hall of Fame coach for a reason. And uh, his teams, uh, offensively and defensively, never beat themselves. And the offense, they got so much versatility and different weapons and lineups. Personally, I love watching them because I love Coach View. I like his staff. I know uh, Tommy and Roger and, and uh, obviously with Coach Jakus and Rim on our staff. So, uh we're always cheering for each other, except if we, we do ever play. Um, but X and O's wise, uh, uh, I like to watch them because I learn. And I think they have some great uh, concepts, tweaks, different things they'll add. And obviously, we have some of the things incorporated in our program from Gonzaga with two of their guys on our staff. But offensively, I mean, it's 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 really fun to watch uh, the way they move the ball, how unselfish they are. Uh, good, better, best, it seems like. Uh, 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 ball always finds the right shooter at the right time. But, the, um, I mean, again, the versatility and different lineups coach you can put on the court. And then the toughness is one thing. Uh, I don't think, uh, a lot of people, uh, uh, talk enough about with Gonzaga. I mean, they're really physical. They do an unbelievable job blocking out defensively. Uh, uh, they can test shots. They don't make things
1: easy. Uh, there's a reason why they're number one in the nation. All right. Now I want to go big picture with both programs. For different reasons, obviously, you guys have built national powers. I mean, when I say different reasons, I mean, you started at different places. Obviously, there was a major scandal at Baylor. Gonzaga, there was history there. It just was not title history. So go to you, Scott, first. What has impressed you the most of the past 20 years in the way in which Mark has built this program? Clearly, uh, uh, their ability to sustain uh,
3: their program and continue, continue to keep it at an elite level. I mean, they lose a, a player of the year uh, candidates from uh, last year's team that leave early for the draft, and you would think they're going to fall off, and yet they're they're even better. And the sign of a great team is when it doesn't take three years to have a great year. And then you have to rebuild for two or three years. I mean, they're just a constant winner each and every year and doesn't matter what pieces they put in. And I think the way they've gotten the young people to always buy in and I don't want to say wait their turn, but develop. So when they do play, uh, they're successful and people like where, where'd they come from, you know, but year in and year out, it's really hard to be successful every year. And, uh, I know one of my favorite stats for us is we're one of five schools in the power five to win 18 or more a year since 2008. I mean, that's really hard to do. And I mean, uh, coach few does that uh, year in and year out, but it's
1: probably 24 a year. Well, Mark, since Oh three, since Scott got there, what's impressed you the most about the way he's built this program?
2: Oh, I mean, I, it's probably the greatest reconstruction project ever. I would say, I mean, for where it was, I mean, he, we all talk about rock bottom. I mean, that, that was rock bottom. And uh, the thing that I'm most impressed with there is it, they, they've got a real culture. I mean, I, I'm very just so impressed with their culture. And we're very proud and protective of our culture up here. It's about doing things the right way and doing things the Zag way and, and you know, the key, the team chemistry and the connection from team to team to team going all the way back to 1999 is what makes this so special here. I think Baylor has the same thing. And I think that's really rare. And, and you can only get, you know, that kind of culture, that kind of chemistry, that kind of carryover when you have a head coach and a staff that's been there a long, long time. And so the former players are still connected to the place. And I mean, he's got it at the top of our sport right now. And, and, you know, they were there last year and, and, uh, and were pretty darn good, uh, you know, the years before that. So, uh, obviously they're here to stay. I think it's probably especially impressive that he's down in what they call, you know, football country and he's made his basketball program relevant. And, uh, he's also made it a huge revenue producer for the school and a huge brand for the school. And, you know, I think that's, uh, the equally as impressive given where they started from.
1: All right. So Mark, let's go back to this game that was supposed to happen. I think it was on December 5th or 6th in Indianapolis. Yeah. I
2: canceled um, it. I didn't feel good about it. Yeah, I, I know you did. I, I, I watched the final tape the night before and I said, I'm out.
1: <laughs> what was the, the beginning of the scheduling aspect of this? Because you basically, you're going to win coach of the year for schedule. No question. I think coach of the year will be one of the two, if not co-coaches of the year of the two of you on the screen here. But in terms of scheduling, when things you know were opening back up, we knew the season was going to start November 25th, and you had almost start from scratch, Mark. How did you come about and say, you know what, this is a game that I want to try to schedule?
2: Well, I, I was not alone in this. And, and the co-scheduler of the year is, is the guy we're talking to right now. He just got waylaid by some, some unfortunate COVID stuff, which was outside of his hands. But probably the, the coolest thing – throughout this whole pandemic and its effect on our sport, all of ours, you know, Scott's, mine, yours, Andy, uh, college basketball. The coolest thing is just how the players, their drive, their resiliency, um, their willingness to put up with any and every, all these protocols, to, to, to show the love of the game they have and how bad they just, they just want to play. And then to see the joy that they play it with when we, when we give them that opportunity is far and away the coolest thing. I would say the second coolest thing is the camaraderie between the coaches going way back into June and July and and Scott and I and Jay Wright and, and Bill Self. And, and a lot of people were just like at Tom Izzo, very much in this court were like, you know what, we just need to play the best games we can possibly play. Forget about your records. Forget about protecting your, you know, and getting a bunch of soft home games. And let's just go out and try to help college basketball, try to help college athletics in general, and then also do it for our players because we knew our players wanted to play those kind of games. But you couldn't believe, like, ordinarily it's kind of hard to get some of us head coaches to pick up their phones. But, I mean, man, we were getting immediate – pickups right and left and you know and and total cooperation and Scott can speak to this about yeah let's do it let's play. Yeah one thing that
3: uh, I've shared with media several times is just being in the coaching profession uh, all my life uh, uh, seeing everyone come together and for us coaches we know how bad our players want to play and how much they're sacrificing to play and to see every coach uh, that at least I talked with really trying to work to make that possible, to play the best games, uh, to help college basketball, and I know uh, Coach Few deserves a lot of credit. When we first started talking, he said, "Hey, for the, for the good of the game, we need not only for our players that want to play these games, but for the fans that deserve after missing March Madness." And and we talked, and we put our game together, and then we said, "You know what? Let's make it even bigger." And at the time, uh, Virginia, Villanova, us, and Gonzaga were the top four, and we were trying to pull off our own pod and play a round robin opening weekend where. We played three of those. And if things had gotten canceled a little more, that's what we were going to we were going to put together. And and again, uh, I agree 100 percent with what uh, Coach Fuse said. I mean, our players have sacrificed so much. I mean, guys breaking up with longtime girlfriends because they just want to keep the bubble tight so they can play games. And, and then coaches seeing them really rally to try to help their players be able to not only have games, but meaningful games
1: that they want to play in or excited to play in that fans want to see. So in normal times, uh, if the two of you guys were undefeated, as you are, uh, where we'd have raucous crowds, we would feel the pressure of, you know, undefeated teams at the top one and two and all that uh, as the weeks and months climbed. Uh, I'm curious, Mark and Scott, if you can comment on the back end about how that pressure, because you've both been there before. We've been undefeated late into the season. How it might feel a little different this season. Uh, Scott, you want to take that? <laughs> that, that was a tough I one. Mean, I was going to let you. <laughs> not uh, <joking. laughs> Hey, look, hey look,
2: the one thing, and I, I don't know how Scott feels about this. I, I just – I don't like and and feel great about how maybe both of us or our teams or our players are getting painted into this corner that it's look, – look, I know they want to win a national championship really bad. Uh, obviously, we do too. But, you know, this national championship or bus stuff, and it's just, we're just trying to go out, I know, here and play our best basketball. And when we do, we have certain standards we want to hit. We're enjoying the heck out of it, just kind of being together with that in mind. But I think when you just focus on that and that alone, you're really missing the whole boat of this whole thing. I mean, there's there's – amazing experiences that Scott can attest to that happen in practice that happen when you're on the road with these guys that, that happen, uh, every day that are, are, you know, the stuff that you'll talk about for the rest of your life and the players will talk about for the rest of your life. And so, you know, to just make it national championship robust, I, I know both. Well, of them. And I'm not, and you and I have I talked quite a I'm bit about the, the beauty it, of the journey. Sometimes the narrative has been that. Yes. And it's like, I, I just think that's
1: really, unfair and unrealistic. No, no, no. I agree with you. You know I agree with you. I guess my point, and Scott, if you can answer this, is in years past, in more normal times, an undefeated number one in the country, undefeated two, Baylor, Gonzaga, you know, you guys have just been on the road in your respective leagues. Obviously, it would feel even different, you know, or more pressure or more intense because of the raucous crowd. You would end up being the biggest crowd that they would have all season long. Um, I would I would argue in the Big 12, normally it's Kansas every year. This year it would be you guys. Obviously every year it is Gonzaga. So I'm just curious, Scott, if you can just speak to that about how it does feel a little different, at least I would think it would, going on the road as a top two team undefeated. Well, what's amazing
3: is that every every year in college coaching or any coaching, you always have different challenges. And I mean, this is something that uh, no coach has ever had to deal with. And that is making sure your guys are excited to go out to an empty arena in most standpoints and occasions. And I know they're excited to play, but still it's different when you walk in and it's a packed house and you pull up, and your bus is getting ready to unload and you see lines of fans outside compared to walking in and no one's inside. And and so that's a different feeling. Number one, number two, um, what, what, in the Big 12, we have some places that are have up to 25% uh, capacity, and it's amazing just how 25% how that impacts the game and how tough that is and you're like normal in normal years if you go to a place 25% you say the crowd was terrible it was nothing but now I mean 10 or 25% you, your guys are like that that meant something so it's just it, it, it's amazing you always have different challenges and and you know what it is different because when you show up to an arena we don't have uh, uh, 50 media people like yourself there that bring energy and excitement and then you don't obviously have the fans and everything so so it is different. Um, the, the, the one thing that I, I love about it is, uh, again, uh, I, I always heard this with the uh, and, and I kind of feel this this year so far, you know, with uh, uh, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. They said they were always watching what each other were doing now. Now, like with us and our staff, I know like we're, we're cheering like heck for Gonzaga, except for when we play them. But it's great because I know it motivates us, too, and our players, because when you see a team play that well, you're like, man, we got to get better. We got to keep improving. And that's something that, that I, I know has driven our guys is every time uh, uh, we watch them play, uh, we know that uh, we still got a couple months to hopefully get better uh, if we are able to face each other.
2: Mark, you want to add on that? I referenced uh, Baylor and Villanova last week for our group and just said, hey, man, we're behind them right now after, I just, uh, after a week, last week's performance. And we challenged them this week, and we were better this week. And I think a lot of it was because of that, just – you know, I said, did you guys watch Baylor today? And they did. And so just, just that. And then I I would just add, I mean, when when we have played in front of fans in Texas and in uh, uh, Florida, I mean, even a small number, man, what a difference. And in South Dakota, what a difference it makes. And I, and a challenge too, Andy, is like sometimes having those big crowds on the road helps you as the road team. I mean, I tell you, you don't play flat, the danger is walking into these gyms with just no juice at all. And and having to this game still has to be played with energy and passion and, and enthusiasm. And I mean, you put yourself at risk to get beat no matter who you're playing, if you if you can't bring that. And, and sometimes that's that's harder to generate, or I know it's harder to generate when there's nobody in these these gyms.
1: All right, a couple very quick topics I want to get to before I let you go. And I appreciate your time as always. Um, number one, I have been on my soapbox throughout the course of the season. I think I'm preaching in the choir here. Just a little sidebar. Is that if you want to opt out, you can opt out. Player, coach, men's, women's, media, administrator, official, stat person. I don't care. Not going to judge you. We'll see you in 21, 22. Great. Enjoy your time off. Be safe for those, the majority. And I literally, and I'm not just saying this, talk to coaches and players almost every day to a person. They all want to keep playing. And I thought a great example of this was with Jay Wright. He told me on their second pause, they went from December 23rd to last week without playing, got out, then went back in. And he said, look, guys, what do you want to do? He understood if they're done after going back in a second pause. And they said, no, no. We want to play. And they stuck it out and they went through it. So if both of you could comment about the desire from your group, despite all these restrictions they're all going through, the sacrifices they're making, about why they want to play.
3: I can just speak for my group, and that is at the end of the day to again see what they have sacrificed. I mean, some of them obviously socially, uh, to where it's at the gym, their dorm room or their apartment and for a lot of them not being able to see friends, family, breaking up with girlfriends, all the things that are required so that they're safe and able to play. And and it doesn't make it where it's foolproof, but uh, to see how much they have sacrificed and continue to want to sacrifice to play. And it's not even a question. I mean, uh, when games get canceled, like obviously we're disappointed uh, when our game with Gonzaga got canceled, but right away it's, who do we have next? And if it was up to us coaches to find somebody, I mean, so supportive of once you get a game, thanks coach, like we're ready to go, appreciate it. Like, I mean, as a coach, I've never felt so motivated to get our guys games and opportunities because of what they sacrificed. And it's very similar to kids that practice really hard. You want to reward them with opportunities in a game. And it's that that's what I can say with our team for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would just say I, you know, I spoke to that earlier, just constantly amazed at how bad they want to play the game they love and they've been playing their whole lives. And I and I echo what you say, Andy, just well, there really is no Judgment. If you want to opt out, opt out. We talk about it. I talk to my team all the time. Like, look, I know sometimes this is a this is a real brag with nobody in the kennel and and nobody around and and you know not packed houses everywhere we play and and people waiting outside. But you can always opt out. That staff, players, media, literally everybody. Here's where we're at. Scott and I are very much in touch with our players. In our program, and this is what they want, and we're going to fight like crazy to do it because we know we're doing it in the safest way possible. But we're going to fight like crazy to try to to make this year as good as we
1: possibly can for these guys because they deserve it. All right, so postseason before we get out of here. First off, conference tournaments, then the NCAA tournament. It's no secret that the goal, the golden goose, is the NCAA tournament. We need to have one for everyone in college athletics. That is a fact. So with that as the baseline, conference tournaments, should they happen? But here's the, the sort of curveball here. It could be for the Big 12, WCC, and you name it. Well, obviously everyone wants to do it safely. The question is, what happens if a team opts out because they feel like they don't want to risk it? They may already be in the tournament. Should the selection committee, which has not made up a decision on this yet, you know, still give an AQ to that league? But then on the league side, they could argue, look, this is part of our television contract deal, our sponsorship, you know, this is revenue that we're going to lose as well. Now, the revenue for the tournament is obviously more important, but the conference revenue matters too. So I'll have you go first, Mark, and then Scott, where are you standing right now as we speak here in late January on conference tournaments?
2: Hey, hey, I mean, this is a really tough, complicated uh, uh, issue or quandary or whatever. I mean, I think the best – Advice. I think our our commissioner Gloria is doing a a phenomenal job. I think it's it's one you just kind of have to wait and see and and probably weigh it out. And uh, I mean that's kind of actually where I'm at with it. Uh, I think we we need to see. You know, is it realistic for us to get three teams uh, in the tournament? With that being said, the best thing that can happen in the WCC, the best thing that can happen in the Big Twelve is for their members to win as many games as possible in the ncaa tournament okay that that you talk about the golden goose that's what what really is the golden goose for these leagues and but but yet we all know we have some tv uh you know responsibilities and and things that we have to meet uh you know with our conference tournaments uh so i think you just have to kind of wait and see and see you know, if there's a cut line there and, and and then do so accordingly and try to maybe we've all been flexible with our schedules and how we've done things uh, throughout the whole year. So I don't know why we wouldn't be the same as we kind of venture down that road to attorneys. Scott, I agree with a
3: lot of what coach Few said. Uh, the one thing I know with our conference tournament is they plan on having it in a situation where I think just the teams are staying in, in the hotel And if that's the case, basically it's a bubble before you go into the NCA bubble and then leaving straight from there to the NCA tournament. And if that was all to be finalized in a way to keep all our guys safe prior to the NCA tournament, then then that might even be better for us rather than having them at home where you're not with them 24 seven as well. So, uh, I think, uh, with us, I'd very much what uh, coach Hughes said. I think we'll all know a lot more in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I know if, if you have a conference tournament, the way the big 12 is doing it uh, in a bubble type situation, if you can afford it is definitely a safe way to do it and help uh, make sure that uh, uh, you got your teams available for the NCAA tournament. And uh, that's what you want.
1: I was going to say, we're all going to be packing, I think for a month, but anyway, uh, last thing on this, the NCAA tournament, we know it's in one state, one region, The two of you likely will be number one seeds. Now, the big difference here is it's more of a true 168 S curve. We don't have to worry about geography. Now, some movement will happen on seed lines because of conference affiliation in the first round. So that'll be a little bit of an adjustment. But overall, what are your thoughts, Mark, when we get there of the current plan set up for the NCAA tournament in those six venues in the greater Indianapolis area to start and ultimately, ending uh, with the final four in the same location at Lucas Oil Stadium. Hey, I,
2: mean, I know they have put a ton of work into it, and uh, I mean, it's it, it's logistically uh, what a huge challenge. But I, I know uh, Dan and his group have put so much work into it, so I feel great about that. Dan's been leading us through this, you know, this whole time, and just done a, an awesome job, like he always does uh, behind the scenes, you know, in kind of his humble way of amazing leadership you know, I, I think it's just, we'll all have to deal with it. I think it's, it's going to be tough. It's a long time to sit around for those teams that do make it all the way to, you know, the final four. That's a long time in a, in a, in a hotel room, quite frankly. And we did that at the start of the year. And by, by the time the Baylor game rolled around, we were, we were ready to go home. So, and that was only two weeks, I think. So, uh, it'll be a real, real challenge, but I, you know, I think they're looking at anything and everything. I just hope my hope is that we can all get to the, the place where it's, it's totally safe for the players, but also fair for the players. I mean, that these players have been through everything and to, and to have them kind of carry the ball all the way to that. I think we've got to make sure it's also fair for them with all our testing and protocols and all that, because uh, they put up with a lot. And,
3: uh, you know, I think we just all got to get on the same page with that. Scott? agree 100%. And Dan's done a phenomenal job. Uh, I know us coaches really respect him and appreciate his leadership and what he's done uh, for our sport. And and I know when I was with Coach Few, Dan got some great suggestions from uh, him because they'd been on the road a bunch just with ideas on team rooms and different things to give the guys something to do. Uh, game rooms, et cetera, uh, to make the time better. Because you definitely want to make it something that's memorable. And I know it's a long time, but what a special opportunity uh, for the teams to have a chance to advance. And uh, personally, I know we both love to go through that long extended stay. And
1: uh, uh, other than that,
2: other than that. uh, And to have fans for us, it'd be nice (laughs) just to have some fans.
1: All right, so I'm going to end it with this, guys. We got about six weeks left here. Uh, obviously, we hope you meet at some point, whether that's in Lucas Oil on April 5th or sometime before. I know you want to play. What are the chances that it could happen and what would have to happen to get this game back on the regular season schedule?
2: Well, as I said earlier, we're ready to head down and scrimmage <laughs> right now. We just didn't tell anybody about it. So. Well, I, I know if we can work it out, we definitely will
3: because uh, uh, Coach, you and I, uh, uh, I know our teams would love it. We'd both get better by by having that
2: opportunity to compete. Amen to that. It's obviously it's not easy being in the middle of league seasons and those requirements, but if there was an opportunity, I'm very confident the two of us and our teams, uh, you know, would, would ride bikes
1: to, you know, Albuquerque (laughs) or something to to play if we had to. So, but realistically for it to happen in both the big 12 and the WCC, because obviously it would have to be on a weekend. Uh, You originally were going to play on CBS. So we're Saturday or Sunday. Um, would you have to have games be moved for it to happen, if it can happen, Mark? Probably, but in in this day and age of
2: scheduling and and cancellations and protocols, I mean, it's, it's, you're literally, I mean, there's a little bit of flying by the seat of your pants and all this stuff. So, I mean, it it could, I'm just saying it, it, yes, it would take a lot, but you know, the, the first thing that it would take is, is, Two willing head coaches and two willing teams, and and so you have you have those already. But everything else would have to. Hey, to it's break NFL right playoff
3: time. You get to the line of scrimmage and you call an audible, and that's both of
1: us are ready if that audible works. <laughs> well, I appreciate both of you. Stay safe, and uh, I just have a good feeling. At some point, we're gonna see the two of you on opposite sidelines playing uh, this season. Love that. Appreciate you, Andy. Yeah,
2: thanks, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank
1: anything. And now it's time for Katz Ranks. This is the week starting on Monday, January 25th. The top midseason national coach of the year. So I'm going to go from 10 to 1. Uh, there's probably a lot more deserving because this has been an unprecedented season for everybody. Every human, let alone every college basketball coach. So let's start at number 10. Kelvin Sampson from Houston. Uh, The Cougars were the pick to win the American. And you know what? They're atop the American. So Kelvin has done exactly everything he was supposed to do with an elite team, despite dealing with a little attrition along the way. And so the Cougars uh, are still excelling and are the team to beat in the American. At number nine, I'm going with Jay Wright of Villanova. Now, look. The Wildcats were the pick to win the Big East. I get it. But they went through a long, long, long pause. Came back, knocked off Seton Hall at home, and then Providence at home. And they're starting to look like a title contender again after not playing in 2021 for the first few weeks. So he definitely gets credit and should be on this list. At number eight, Mick Cronin of UCLA. The Bruins suffered their first loss in the Pac-12 over the weekend against Stanford and Santa Cruz at the buzzer in overtime. Yet this team playing very well offensively and they're doing it without Chris Smith. He's supposed to be their best offensive player. He's done for the season. Mick Cronin doing an outstanding job for UCLA atop the Pac-12. At number seven, Leonard Hamilton. They lose multiple draft picks and yet here they are right near the top of the ACC looking like they're going to battle Virginia down the stretch for the ACC title. And they dealt with a pause, came back, and they were our team of the week because of the way they beat Louisville on the road and Clemson at home. So Leonard Hamilton's on the list. At number six, Shaka Smart. The Texas Longhorns are right there, probably the second best team in the Big 12 behind Baylor. This is Shaka's best team. He's got young guys, he's got veterans, and he's put it all together. They're playing the way he wants. They're athletic, rim protector. They get up and run. Shaka doing a great job. At number five, Konzo Martin from Missouri. The Missouri Tigers are arguably one of the top two to three teams in the SEC this season. Veteran players. Knocked off rival Illinois early in December. Avenged a home loss to Tennessee by winning at Tennessee. And so Konzo Martin has the Tigers in position to be an NCAA tournament team and compete for an SEC title. But he's gotta get by this team, coached by this man at number four. Nate Oates of Alabama, bad start to the season down at the relocated Maui Invitational, yet they have flipped the script on their season. John Petty Jr. is having an all-SEC type season, so is Herb Jones, and the Tide is the team to beat, undefeated in the SEC, has already beaten Tennessee and LSU, Uh, This is an Alabama team that uh, is going to play for a high seed. At number three, Jawan Howard of Michigan. The Wolverines are the best team in the best league. uh, And this comes right before their 14-day pause. The Wolverines only have one loss. That was at Minnesota. Uh, He's blended newcomers, freshmen, veteran players. And Jawan Howard is doing an outstanding job in Ann Arbor. At number two, Scott Drew from Baylor undefeated, best team in the Big 12, four guards that could play and start on any roster in America, Uh, bigs that are traditional Baylor bigs. Uh, Scott is mixing everything up and doing a great job. But at number one, I'm going with Mark Few of Gonzaga. And it's not just because the Zags, like the Bears, are undefeated. Um, It's because what Mark has also done with this group and scheduling. He has scheduled his way to being a number one overall seed on the fly. Picking up the games against Kansas and Auburn. Tennessee was on pause so you get West Virginia. Can't play Baylor so you pick up Virginia. Play Iowa and South Dakota. All those games were just created. Then some of his guarantees as well. Jalen Suggs. Going to be right there with Kate Cunningham for the best freshman in the country. Drew Timmy is obviously having a great year. You know, Corey Kispert is going to be a first-team All-American, possibly. Joel Ayahi has developed into uh, an all-WCC player. And then he's blended players off the bench, guys that didn't play that much last season or were hurt, newcomers, transfers. He's put it all together, and he's got a chance to win the national championship. So Mark Few in late January is my pick for National Coach of the Year. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Casey Alexander, the head coach of the Belmont Bruins. And uh, Casey, 16-1, 13 straight, undefeated in the Valley. But I think the most impressive stat of any team in the country is that you've played 17 games here uh, as we chat on the week of January 25th. Um, That in itself, regardless of your record, that's a major accomplishment in this unprecedented season. How are you guys doing it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, impressive. And, and I'll be the first to admit, I didn't think we'd get to this point this quickly uh, because we had a miserable uh, preseason uh, with COVID. And so, uh, and played our first several games without all of our players, but we've been healthy and available really since December the 5th. And so that's that's a big part of, it's uh, a big reason why we've had the success that we've
1: had, just continuity of practicing games. When you look around the country and you've seen, You know, Villanova went from, I think, like December 23rd until just last week. St. Louis hasn't even played an Atlantic 10 game yet. Uh, They're hoping to maybe get in a dozen before the end. Um, You know, you guys are in that grouping of a team that certainly, you know, could, should get in the tournament and do something. So these are your peers, if you will, for this particular season. What are your thoughts when you see what other schools are going through? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to even
4: put into words, you know, and and I think in our case for now um, we were just lucky that we experienced it in the preseason uh, in September and October and November. uh, And we haven't had to deal with it very much during what is now the regular season, but you know, coaches are having to adjust, adapt, you know, we're, we're, we're not to the finish line yet, you know, as fortunate as we have been with testing and being able to play, we've also been really lucky Uh, that all of our opponents have been able to play. You know, that's a big part of this equation that we have zero control over. So uh, we're just keeping our fingers crossed and seeing if if we can play this week, good. If we can play next week, good. We'll just keep going.
1: Yeah, that's the other factor. It's not just about you. It's about everyone else. Um, You know, what's it been like in in the Valley as it relates to other opponents to where maybe you're holding your collective breath each week, hoping that uh, not only are you guys continuing to be safe, but, But also the team that you're supposed to play.
4: Yeah, like every league, we've had teams that have had to miss games. Uh, We just played SIU Edwardsville this past weekend, and they were playing their first two games in 35 days, maybe, uh, with very few practices. You know, I think a lot of that gets lost. And uh, from a fan's perspective, it's just kind of what the difference is from one team to another. In a normal season, everybody's playing on the same days, the same number of games, the same number of practices, and, you know, behind the scenes, just very different look this year. But again, you just, you just play who's in front of you. If you can play, you play it. If you've got nine guys, you've got nine. If you've got your whole roster, you've got your whole roster. And, you know, I think that's one good thing about this season is we worry a whole lot less about extenuating circumstances and just try to
1: coach our teams. So what was that time like in the fall that you said it was miserable? I mean, what was it like? Yeah, it was tough. Uh, I'll even go back farther than that. We, we were in the NCAA
4: tournament last year and Practiced on Thursday, I guess, March 12th. Our team went home on the 13th because the tournament was canceled. I didn't see any of them until August the 23rd. Uh, it was a long break. We had no time together in the summer. And then we had far more days between September 1st and November 25th when the season started apart than we did together. Uh, and so um, it was a whirlwind. And it's, it's, it's hard to believe now that we've had six weeks together uh, after going through that for the better part of six months.
1: And look, I mean, in your city of Nashville, and obviously I know it can vary by zip code, but Vanderbilt has been hammered multiple times in many sports. Uh, how much has that caused you some anxiety as well that, you know, within the Nashville area, it's been an issue?
4: Yeah, Nashville and Tennessee in general have been hit really hard. I mean, I can look out the window right here and see Vanderbilt's campus. That's how close that we are. And, uh, you know, I, I give... Not that Vanderbilt's doing anything wrong by any stretch, but I give Belmont administration a lot of credit for procedures and protocols that have been put in place to keep us as safe and healthy as we can. Uh, I give our student body and especially our student athletes a lot of credit for following the rules as designed and doing what we can to minimize risk. Um, And then again, I'd be foolish to say that we've just been lucky. We've just been lucky. I mean, you know, during this last little stretch, uh, keeping it all together.
1: What's it been like travel-wise and, you know, playing the same opponent? Uh, I've heard pros and cons to that, regardless of league.
4: Yeah, our our league schedule has really remained the same. We added a couple of games, but we haven't we haven't changed um, format in that regard. Uh, you know, but travel, you know, we're fortunate in the OVC that we've got, it's a, mostly a bus league and where Belmont is located is in the center of the league. So we have a lot of same-day trips on a bus, um, makes it as easy as possible. Uh, you know, but even, even that's different because we leave later, we don't have access to locker rooms, we've got assigned seating on the bus, we wear masks on the bus, you know, sometimes we shower, sometimes we don't. So there's not a day
1: in the COVID basketball season that's what I would call normal. So with that being said, and your program, whether it was from Rick Bird or to you, uh, this team has gotten old and stayed old, and that's why it's been so successful. Um, what do you attribute to this season being able to stay at the top? And we'll see if that can obviously continue over the next month.
4: Yeah, you know, I think on one hand, you have to be cautious uh, to assume that you're just going to win games because Belmont's used to winning games. I mean, this, this is a new team and a new season. And, and certainly the way the offseason went, I was worried about it. But now in reflection, you know, I think, I think Belmont's a demonstrated ability to win, uh, a culture of winning. Guys in the program that have won uh, helped sustain us through those really tough times. And then we got off to a good start, and and that's just kind of propelled us forward.
1: If there's one player or a couple players that you feel like have exceeded your expectations or have become, uh, you know, more reliable, who stands out to you? It's a good question.
4: And in some ways it's unfair because Grayson Murphy and Nick Musinski are, are both all conference players returning and and clearly really important to our team. But we got a division three transfer in Luke Smith, who's had an unbelievable year, um, scored the ball at a really high level and shot it very well. And then a guy like Ben Shepard, who we knew was our best defender. Um, but here in the last few weeks, he's been the OBC player of the week, two different times. And so, uh, the, the more the merrier, as far as I'm
2: concerned.
1: Yeah. Grayson and Nick, obviously, uh, should get their due, Uh and they've had great success at Belmont. But, you know, Mike DeCorsi, Sporting News, I know, did a great story on Luke um, Is yet another example of a D3 player, sort of a diamond in the rough that's getting its opportunity. Obviously, the most famous of late was Duncan Robinson from Williams to obviously uh, playing for a national championship at Michigan and now, you know, winning or, excuse me, competing for one with the Miami Heat against the Lakers uh in, down in the bubble. What is it about players at that level, if you can find the right person, uh, in terms of the skill set that actually couldn't translate.
4: Yeah, well, let's be fair to Luke, too. I mean, when, when he decided to come to Belmont, you know, as I told him, I said, you're a Division One player. You're not a Division Three player. You can put him on any team, and he would be successful uh, because he knows how to play the game, and especially in a culture like ours where it's kind of a share and share-like system, uh, the guy's just really built to be a Belmont player. You know, I, did, I didn't mention Jacoby Wood earlier either, a freshman that, you know, since the ball was tipped in our season opener has had a, a real – you know, impact on our team.
1: So all things, you know, hopefully they all stay going in the right direction. When we get to Indianapolis in March, let's assume that this team is there. Uh, Hopefully they will be. Uh, What are the chances that this is another Belmont team, maybe like last season's, had we had a tournament that certainly can be a factor, get a decent seed, win a game or two, and who knows?
4: Yeah, well, a couple of realities for me, as far as that's concerned. One is, Best case scenario, we're going to be 11, 12, 13 seed, So we're going to be an underdog and we're going to be playing a really good team, a top 20 caliber team. So you have to play well to beat anybody at that level and and certainly in the NCAA tournament. But uh, at the same time, I have said that when Belmont does knock those doors down, I'm not going to be surprised. I think we have the
1: ability to do it. I think we've had several teams that could do it. And one of these days we will. And, And lastly, I mean, you've played, as I said, just circling back, you've played 17 games. Uh, look, I have, and I've said this on this podcast and publicly everywhere, I got no problem if people want to opt out, coaches, players, media administrators, who doesn't matter, but the majority of people, 90 plus percent of coaches and players that I've talked to want to play, even those that have had multiple, multiple, multiple quarantine situations, they want to come out and play, overall, and you guys, like I said, you know, knock on wood, have had great success here of of, uh, staving it off here once the season got going. What's the mood with your group about their desire to play through all of these restrictions? Yeah, we want to play. There's
4: no doubt about that. And that's easy to say when you're winning games. But the the key to our season, in my opinion, was we bust 11 hours to Washington, D.C. to open our season for three games in three days with nine players. We were just a shell of ourselves. We, we had gone the previous month with only a couple of practices. We had gone the previous 10 days with no practices with more than six players and no transition, obviously. But we bust to Washington and we played three games in three days and we won them. And I think that taught all of us a lesson of, hey, it's worth it. You know, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. I mean, and even win or lose. I mean, I think it was our players loved being together and having the chance to play a game in the middle of all the crud that we had gone through and we're still going through at that time. So we were lucky to learn that lesson early.
1: Well, Casey, you know, I know there's a lot of luck involved here, but you've been a model obviously of success and doing things the right way during this unprecedented season. I wish you the best of luck. Stay safe. Thank you. Same to you. And now it's time for March Chadness, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Chad, two weeks ago, I was riding high. I stuck out my chest. I was boasting about my record. And then I came crashing down with a sub 500 week, the first one of the season.
0: Um, How did I follow that up? Yeah, Andy, two weeks ago, a little humble pie for you. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, you bounced back in a strong way. You went five and three. um, And really, without the Tennessee double matchups, you would have been five and one. Um, But Tennessee, just shocker at Florida. And then losing that other game uh, against Missouri. But no, strong week. Um, How would you feel about that? Any, any, any uh, thoughts on the Tennessee performance? Shocking. I mean, not that Missouri played well, but the margin
1: of victory, the basically lack of production from Tennessee, all of that was surprising. The whole week from Tennessee was surprising. You know, the fact that Florida dismantled them earlier in the week. And
0: that also was just the margin i think was a little stunning. Yeah, well, you won 5 out of 8 games and we'll we'll pick it right back up this weekend another good week. Tuesday night, number 24 Oklahoma at number 5 Texas. Uh we haven't talked too much about the Sooners, you know, we've talked about Oklahoma State, you know, with Kate Cunningham and, and the Cowboys, but the Sooners they're in third place in the conference and they're coming off a pretty big win over Kansas. Meanwhile, Texas they'll be without head coach Shaka Smart uh, due to COVID. How do you like this matchup shaking out? Well, I like Texas. Oklahoma's obviously playing better. They should be back at full
1: strength. And Texas won't have Shaka on the sideline, but he's not in the game. And uh, the length, athleticism of the Longhorns, uh, their
0: guard play, just overall, they're more talented. And at home, I like them. Yeah, good pick. Now let's look ahead to Friday. We got a sneaky game here in the A-10, and it's number 22, St. Louis at Richmond. Uh, Andy, and I want you to kind of explain this for me. St. Louis. They haven't played a game since December 23rd, and they were unranked at the time. And then they were unranked that next week. And since then, they've had five postponements, but they've managed to climb up to number 22 in the polls. How does that make sense to you?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I got to give a shout out to their social media because St. Louis has done a great job of continuing the narrative that their team pre-pause was playing really well and was actually statistically you know, clearly playing maybe the best basketball in the A-10. They had that loss in Minnesota, and prior to last week, Minnesota had not lost at home. Uh, So they've done a good job of keeping the name St. Louis out and about. It is crazy to think that they have not played an A-10 game uh, as of Monday, and yet uh, there's still hope that they can get in at least 12 uh, between now and the A-10 tournament. But they have not been playing. Richmond, which it was off to a hot start, has been inconsistent since then. They had their own pause that they went through. But uh, I'm going to go with the Spiders here to rebound and to quell some of that love for the Billikens that got them ranked in
0: their absence. All right. Yeah, that win uh, for Richmond at Kentucky, not quite as impressive. <laughs> Kentucky, believe it or not, was number 10 in the country when Richmond beat them uh, since then. They're you know below 500. Uh, but yeah, not a bad pick. You got the senior senior squad, Richmond, and uh, that'd be a big win for them over St. Louis. Uh, let's also look at another game Friday night: Number seven Iowa at Number nineteen Illinois, uh, and what a matchup here! You know, Iowa—they're coming off that surprising home loss to Indiana, but they still have one of the top offenses in the country. Uh, Illinois, you know, Kofi Coburn—he he, maybe he can neutralize or at least maybe slow down Luca Garza. Uh, what do you like about this matchup, and who wins? Well, first of all, there's a little bad
1: blood. Uh, A little chippy in their games last year. They only meet once this season, which is a shame. But uh, I I like Illinois here. I think that this, it's unfortunate there won't be a crowd because I think it would be an absolute crazed atmosphere in Champaign. And what happened to Iowa at home to Indiana is very concerning for the big picture. Uh, Indiana was the tougher team on that night. They brought it to them. Uh, and Illinois, obviously, I think, is tougher than Indiana, and I think Brad Underwood's going to have his guys jacked for this game. Kofi Coburn's been looking forward to going against Luka Garza. Yeah, I think the Illinois guards will be right up inside Iowa's guards. I mean, right up at them, and uh, so I I like Illinois in this matchup. Um, You know, if they meet again in the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, I might have a different answer, Uh, but I think in this first matchup, the desperation for Illinois
0: will be there. I like the Illini. Yeah, I can't wait to see the intensity on that one. Now let's jump ahead to Saturday. Uh, we're going to do a couple couple of top twenty five matchups here uh, before we get to the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. Let's look at number eight Virginia at number twenty Virginia Tech. And uh, the first leg of this rivalry was postponed, uh, but the matchup in Blacksburg here is on. Who do you like to win, Virginia? The Hokies are
1: overachieving this season, and now they've hit a little bit of their. I think true self, I didn't expect them to get blown out at Syracuse. Yeah, that was disappointing. You know, I think they're starting to come back to earth, Uh, much like the Clemson team that you saw a couple times in a row uh,
0: that uh, did not come off the pause very well. Yeah, Clemson has not not rebounded uh, since I saw them. I saw them against Virginia, and I saw them again when they were back in Atlanta against Georgia Tech, and then obviously they got smoked at Florida State. So we'll see if they can right the ship too. Um, But all right. How about another game? Number 21, Minnesota at Purdue, the Gophers, they've lost three out of four. But, you know, that's kind of what you get in the Big Ten when every game is really a big game. Uh, Purdue, they had their four-game win streak snapped by Michigan. Which team gets back on track here?
1: Well, I'm going to go with Purdue uh, because I find it hard to see them losing back-to-back weekends uh, at Mackey. Now, they will not have Sasha Stevanovich for the second straight weekend. He's out for a total of, I think, three games, 17 days. As he's going through COVID protocols, but Minnesota has yet to prove to me and anyone else that they can play well on the road. Uh, they had their blip, obviously, at home against Maryland, but uh, you know maybe they'll surprise
0: me. But I'm going Purdue with Mackey. Yeah, I like that pick too. All right, now let's look at this SEC Big 12 challenge. We'll go into a little bit more detail on these two uh, ranked matchups, and then we'll kind of run through the rest of the slate. Let's start with number nine Alabama at number 24 Oklahoma. Big week for the Sooners. How do you think they stack up against a red hot Bama team that's still undefeated in the conference? I'm going Alabama. There's no reason to pick against Alabama. This game obviously has
1: grown in its importance from when it was originally scheduled. You know, we weren't thinking about you know who Alabama was going to play in this challenge, uh, and now you know if you were to knock off Alabama, that's a big time win on your resume, and also for Alabama, they're playing for a legitimate. You know, top two-line seed right now. Um, I mean, if they were to win out in the SEC, it'd be hard to keep them off the two-line. I don't see them getting to the one-line, but, you know, how could you not have them as a two if they win the SEC handily like that? So there's a lot to play for there as
0: well, and I like Bama. All right. Roll, Tide, roll. How about number 15, Kansas, at number 18, Tennessee? Uh, Tennessee, (laughs) we just touched on that disastrous week they had last week. Do you think they'll write the ship in time for this matchup with the Jayhawks? I do.
1: I have a hard time picking against the Vols again and thinking that they'll lose again at home. Kansas, on the other hand, we're starting to see kind of what we like. I guess we didn't want to believe this. Um, I didn't think they would be obviously as good as last season. And they played Gonzaga well in the opener. Um obviously lost, but they scored in that game. But now we're kind of starting to see a Kansas team that just lacks that star power that they've had the last few seasons, certainly. And uh, they're a little bit more of, I, I say this relatively, an average Big 12 team. And what I mean by that is a team, you know, that is can be beaten by anyone in the Big 12 or could beat anyone in the Big 12. And I think that's what we're seeing by Kansas right now this particular season. But I like
0: Tennessee at home. All right, so that'd be a 2-0 start for the SEC in this challenge. Uh, Let's just kind of run through the rest of these. I'll give you the game. You give me the winner maybe one sentence why. Number 10, Texas Tech at LSU. Who do you like? Uh, LSU, very disappointing against Kentucky. I'm going Texas Tech. All right. Texas A&M at Kansas State. A&M,
1: both programs struggling, but uh, A&M less so than K-State right now. Florida at West Virginia. Number 11, West Virginia. That's a really good game and a tough game for the Gators. But I'm going to go with the Mountaineers, which have figured out how to play now without Oscar Shibwe. All right. How about TCU at Missouri? Missouri. Tigers are rolling. I ate my crow, my mea culpa. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, for whatever reason, my uh, trusted team didn't call me out when I omitted Missouri. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, It starts with me. I don't know what I was thinking. But I paid them back, put them high, and I owned it. It's on me, uh, Missouri. All right. Auburn, number two, Baylor. Uh, I'd say a lot of points are going to be scored in this game. Um, what they they hung 109, Auburn, oh, yeah. uh, against South, South Carolina, Carolina, I think. Yep. Yeah. So Sharif Cooper's uh, obviously made quite a splash for the Tigers, but
0: no, they're not going to beat Baylor. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt there. Just had to ask anyways. How about Arkansas at Oklahoma State? Uh, I like the Cowboys, who I, you know, Cade
1: Cunningham, was out due to COVID protocols, and I'm hoping that he would be back by later this week. Uh, but even if he isn't, Oklahoma State put up a great fight against
0: Baylor without Kate Cunningham. So uh, I, I still think they win this game. All right, home win for the for the Cowboys. How about Iowa State, Mississippi State? Ooh, um,
1: Iowa State's really struggled. They've been on pause for quite a while. Uh, I'm going with
0: Mississippi State. All right, and currently going into our last matchup, You've got the SEC at five games, the Big 12 at four. The last one, number five, Texas at Kentucky.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with the Longhorns. You know, right now, it's hard to put faith in Kentucky. They had a good outing against LSU, but
0: I can't consistently do it. Yeah, fair pick there. Well, you've got a tie in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, and we will revisit all these picks next week and see how you did. I'm feeling like two weeks ago was more of an anomaly. Yeah, you're <laughs> on the right track now. I yeah, think so.
1: Well, Chad, I appreciate it. Uh, Hopefully all these games get played as scheduled. And as we had, you know, earlier in the pod, we had Scott Drew of Baylor and Mark Few from Gonzaga, the top two teams in the country undefeated. And as you heard here on the pod, they would like to have this game. We'll see if it happens. But, um, you know, I I just want to put a bow on this, Chad. Um, Now that we've heard from both men, both coaches, that they'd like to play the game. There's a part of me, as much as I want to see the game, there's also a part of me that wants to see two undefeated teams meet for the national championship on April 5th in Indianapolis, which we've never had ever, at least not in my lifetime, that I can think of, certainly not since I've been covering the sport. Right. Where do you stand on this, Chad, as to whether or not you want to see it in February, or do we just wait and hope we see it
0: in April in Indy? Yeah, I mean, you, you want to see the matchup. But I think a little patience uh, could do us some good here. Uh, if we wait, we might have a chance at history. And even if they don't match up in the national championship game, if one of them gets knocked off early, at least you've got you know one extra shot at an undefeated team uh, for the first time since Indiana. So that'd be fun to see.
1: Yeah, I think as we get closer to March and it's not happening, then there's going to be obviously – for those of us that love the game, uh, kind of a hope that we will get it. Uh, I will say this, though. I think if we do get it, it will be in the title game. I can't see a scenario where they're not on opposite sides of the bracket. Like, it's going to be 1-1A and 1A in terms of the overall seeds. I, I don't see in any way where they are paired
0: on the same side of the bracket. Do you agree with me on that? Oh, no doubt. And even if Baylor lost a game or two before then, I still think they would either be the two or the number three overall seed and be on the opposite side.
1: Yeah, I I can't see them dropping a four. No way. So if we get it, we may get it, obviously, for the national championship. Uh, Chad, as always, appreciate it. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, a big shout out to our Turner Sports team, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Sean Bartley, Michael Kaplan, and the entire NCAA.com crew. They do an outstanding job repurposing our podcast, promoting it in every form or fashion on all our social media platforms. As always, uh, I want to wish everyone a safe week. We'll talk again next week as we are getting into February. Bubble time, tournament coming. We just got to get there and then it's going to be something special. Take care, everyone.